Before we begin this Bennelong Funds Management podcast, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities who work and live on this land and we commit to an ongoing journey of reconciliation and respect. Welcome to the latest instalment of our key global investor podcast series, my name is Mai Platts. I'm one of the account directors with Benelong Funds Management. Joining me today is Chris Beddingfield, co-principal and portfolio manager of Key Global Investors. Chris, welcome. Hi, Maya. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Look, we've got some interesting activities in the market at the moment, some interesting headlines, so keen to get your insights on those. To start, we've just come through reporting season. Were there any surprises from your side from the results that came out? I think coming, we're just sort of finishing up the results now and our, I guess, observation is the results have been positive, probably on balance, slightly positive relative to our our own expectations. Our expectations were probably a little bit more optimistic than the market in that if you go back three months when companies were giving guidance for 2023 at the beginning of the year, they were in our view, being incredibly cautious in their in their assumptions. Uh, retailers or the retail landlords were uh, essentially expecting zero nominal sales growth, elevated bankruptcies. We saw the expectations were from the residential guys, a material slowdown in rental growth, and even in the industrial side, a pretty you know meaningful slowdown in terms of rental growth there as well. And that hasn't transpired as yet. So it's not surprising that the results have been pretty good because the expectations we thought were a little bit uh, undercooked, if you will. But having said that, we were sitting above the market anyway, and, and they've sort of come ahead, slightly ahead of you know where we were going. Where we're probably most excited right now um, is, is senior housing. It's, it really feels like there's a great momentum in that space right now. Uh, occupancies are, are ticking up quite nicely, even during the low leasing period of the first few months of the year, we're seeing some good momentum on the leasing side. And, you know, one, just as a reminder to some of our listeners, you know, one of the great things about real estate sometimes is if you can buy a portfolio of assets that is, 20% vacant on the same sort of multiple as the rest of the market, you get some free upside when that vacancy gets leased up. But that's not always the case. You know, you might, you know, office is a good example. You can debate whether that 20% vacancy gets leased up. But in senior housing, where that is the case, you do have that 20% kind of vacancy, but you've got a great demographic story of the aging population, which is really starting to kick in now. Uh, and very, very low deliveries of new supply. It's, it's a nice little sort of momentum story building now behind senior housing, which we think will last many, many years. And the beauty is we're not paying really big prices for that space right now. And with those observations in mind, Chris, how is the portfolio currently positioned and where do you see opportunities going forward? You mentioned senior housing. Uh, any other areas of interest? Yeah, I think another area that was, again, a little bit ahead of our expectation and where we've got a, a you know, very sizable exposure to the portfolio is, is residential. Um, we were certainly expecting a deceleration in residential rents, and that's 
that's been happening in some parts of the market, but they're holding up way better than even we thought, uh, particularly where we've got our big exposures, which is single family housing or standalone housing in, in the United States, where you know rental growth, particularly on new leases, are still holding up you know, high single digit type rent growth. We're seeing a collapse in new starts in the housing market. And so rents uh, are continuing to grow slightly ahead of, of our underwrites. I think from a sentiment point of view as well, one of the things that we've noticed, and we wrote a paper on this about, you know, the global residential markets. We know this, we know the Australian residential market has turned around, you know, in the last few months. I think that's caught a few people by surprise. But the direct market of, this, of, of, of homes in the US is starting to turn around as well. Monthly increases are now being reported by the major indices, Case Shiller, Zillow. And we're starting to see that uh, price growth occurring in the US market as just as much as we're seeing it in the Australian market. And, and we're also seeing it in Europe and also Canada as well. And this totally flies in the face of the conventional wisdom that interest rates, high interest rates is bad for residential. We push back against that uh, quite a lot, particularly for longer term investors. Supply and demand really does matter. And we're seeing that supply and demand in balance in residential markets around the world right now, not just in Australia, but in those other markets I've mentioned. And when you look at our portfolio, we have, apart from the senior housing aspect, which we're excited about, we have a very meaningful exposure to that residential side of, of the market. And, and we're pretty excited about that. The other areas, you know, where the portfolio is, is positioned and we've taken a bit of a hit over the last 12 months, but it, it's really been sentiment driven rather than fundamentally driven has been the European self-storage. Uh, we're continuing to see some, you know, very good occupancy and rent gains in those markets. Fantastic medium-term earnings growth, great long-term earnings growth. But from a sentiment point of view, you know, Europe is, is very challenged, particularly the UK. Uh, and so from a sentiment point of view, that's kind of hurt performance on a rolling 12-month basis. But we, we have very high conviction in the European self-storage story. European self-storage is massively undersupplied relative to the Aussie market, relative to the US markets. And so, you know, we see great long-term gains there, notwithstanding it's been, you know, a challenging pricing market, you know, the way the share prices have performed, it's been challenging, but operationally they've, they've been totally, totally fine. Excellent. And just to circle back, and you mentioned with the rental growth in the residential market, we're obviously in this challenge of combating inflation across the various central banks. Where do you think that's going to level out? Yeah, I think it's it's really it's really hard to say because it's all very different depending on the markets. You have very, very strong rent controls in, in Europe, particularly places like Germany. You have moderate rent controls in places like Canada, where we see both of those markets being structurally undersupplied, you know, for the foreseeable future because of those rent controls. They've been undersupplied in the past, and we think they'll continue to be undersupplied going forward. Uh, the US is the interesting one because uh, one third of US CPI is driven by residential rents. And so anyone that's interested in the macro story right now, which seems to be all about interest rates and, and inflation, uh, we, you know, we have a fairly good idea what we, we can expect in terms of residential rents. They are uh, coming down, they're decelerating from their high sort of mid-double-digit type uh, growth last year. They're now, as I said, their single-family housing is, is getting towards that high single digit. But then if you look 
deeper into those markets, particularly towards the south in the apartment markets, we're starting to see rents year on year uh, start to print zeros and close to negatives. And so relative to last year, there has been meaningful deceleration in US residential rents. And because of the way the CPI is calculated, there is a lag between the, the rents that are being printed today and when they'll show up in the CPI. It's typically about nine to 12 months. So I think anyone looking at the macro inflation story, you could probably pencil in some pretty decent sort of uh, lower inflationary numbers driven by the residential side of the CPI over the next you know, six to 12 months. Thank you. And I know that you did address this in your investment perspectives in April, banking failures in the US and the potential impact on commercial property. Is this something that should concern investors? Well, I mean, anything to do with, you know, the banking system should concern investors and it should concern all investors, not just people in real estate. You know, the banks, an extension of credit is the lifeblood of, of every economy. Uh, and, and as I say, it goes well beyond, it goes well beyond real estate. Um, what's interesting about the current situation is the market seems to be worried about, you know, real estate, but nothing else, which seems really strange to us because it's it's either going to affect everything or will affect nothing. Um, there is certainly within the real estate space, very, very highly geared real estate in the system. Those assets are likely to, you know, some of those assets will default at some stage, but that's not unusual um, in, in the banking market, certainly in the US banking market. The question is, you know, how manageable is it? And I think, you know, if you're in the listed real estate space, all you need to do is make sure that your companies have you know, well-spread debt expiry profiles and are moderately leveraged. And, you know, those sorts of concerns, unlike 2008, should be, you know, not, not as big an issue this time around compared to last time around. And that's really where our portfolio is. We, interestingly, through, you know, the, the, the latest set of results, and remember the banking crisis started to occur in March, our companies, by and large, were still able to access the debt markets. They've still been able to access credit through their banking relationships. Uh, there hasn't, we haven't seen any real major disruption yet in terms of what our companies are able to do. Not that they're doing much anyway, about 4% of our uh, investees' debt is up for, you know, re renewal this year. And, and much of that has been addressed by the first quarter already. So they haven't had much to do, but um, those, those markets and credit availability is, is still available to, certainly to our investees. So what other concerns um, do you have, Chris, that keep you up at night? You know, there's always the macro that, you know, you, you do worry about. I mean, as we're recording this, maybe it will be resolved by the time it comes out. There's the, um, I suppose, the standoff on the uh, US debt limit. Uh, I think that should be concerning everyone. I don't think we, anyone really has a full grasp as, as to you know, what that would mean if the US was to default. And that's completely out of our hands. But it does worry me a little bit. I think at the investee level, the thing that always worries us is management decisions and and so we keep a pretty close eye on management behavior and you know making sure that they do what they say and say what they do and when they veer from that that's that's usually you know when we start to have a look at that position and, and start to move out so you know one of the things that does worry us is is that uh, and we saw this during COVID is you can get some management teams that panic and you know raise equity at the wrong price sell assets at the wrong price um you know there's nothing we can do to stop them you know 
making those decisions. They lock in permanent capital loss when they make those decisions. Um, so they're the things that we we worry about the most. I suppose we balance that by making sure the portfolio is you know, nicely diversified across a number of names so that any one bad decision doesn't hurt us too much. But that's at a macro level, I think, yeah, the US default is certainly top of mind, not that we can do much about it. What we can do is stay on top of our investees and, and monitor their actions and, and try and manage around any sort of decisions they make that we think uh, creates a permanent permanent loss of value for our, for our investors. Great. We might just wrap it up there. Thank you for your insights there, Chris. And thank you for listening today. If you do have any questions about key global investors or any of the funds, please contact your local account directors or contact the client experience team. If you enjoyed this podcast or want to know more, please visit our website, benalongfunds.com and subscribe to receive our regular insights or contact us directly for more information. 